And now, a star of both action blockbusters and historic epics, and a legend of the stand-up stage, please welcome Mel Gibson and Bill Cosby. I think a lot of people are surprised to see you here tonight, Bill, but I'm not. Why is that, Mel? Everyone knows that by the end of the Oscars, half these people will be asleep. <laughs> Cover your drinks, folks. <laughs> now here's something I can't wrap my head around. I can't get the time of day in this town while you have been able to rehabilitate your career. Why? <laughs> yeah. I have repeatedly threatened my wife with physical violence and sexual violence. I have been caught on tape spewing racist remarks and saying I hate Jews. On the other hand, you made Leonard part six. This is all because they want to include Braveheart clips in their Oscars reels again. Best career move I ever made was performing in Blueface. Still, I think my career prospects are better than yours. Why is that? Because Hollywood isn't run by the women. <laughs> well, tonight we honor two performers who showed their staying power while enduring a grueling nine-hour recording session discussing every last detail of the 2019 Oscar ceremonies and the year in film it honored. Nominated tonight for longest performance in a podcast episode, Wade Carney and Sigmund Lamar show the true value of perseverance in this lengthy clip from You Watched It Wrong. You watched it wrong. Next up, Queen Latifah introducing the favorite clips, the clips from the film The Favorite. Wait. Queen Latifah's a movie star, so not all of the no. not all of those bits were introduced by non-movie people. Hmm. Nope. Interesting. So well, then they moved. To... If you stroke for Mama, Mama will stroke for you. <laughs> but she wasn't Queen, wasn't she? <laughs> She's a Queen. She could have introduced Queen. Why didn't she? Win? Yeah, exactly. Uh, why didn't? Um, uh, I'm trying to. I thought I could come up with someone whose name was Star. Why didn't Bjorn, um, <laughs> Star whose name Bjorn. was Bjorn, introduce us to Star Bjorn? Who's the tennis player? Serena Williams. Well, there's Serena no, T. Oh, the one whose name was Bjorn. Oh. Uh, Bjorn. P- <laughs> I don't know. Oh, boy. Best foreign language film. <laughs> Introduced by Angela Bassett and Javier Bardem. And this is when I started to notice lots of people were wearing pink tonight, even though there had yeah. been a joke about that. But then it kept happening throughout the right. ceremony. Was there like a memo that went around? Well, was there? A, we're going to wear pink. Was there a, is it tied to a message? Like like, like a I, cause? I don't know. Okay. Well, I never we can't saw or heard any go. commentary on it, but it, there it sure was, was a lot. Yeah. No pussy hats, though. Yeah, no pussy hats, but pink. Um, so uh, these foreign language films were, where is it? Where is it? Oh, uh, Campernam from Lebanon, Cold War from Poland, Never Look Away from Germany, Roma from Mexico, and Shoplifters from Japan. I tried to see both Cold War and Shoplifters, and I was unable to. 
So Roma is the only one I saw. Uh, me too. Most of these, almost all of these films, I only saw like two weeks before the ceremony. I was cramming them in. Yeah, me too. Um, and so I really just concentrated on uh, the ones that got the most nominations overall, which all happened to be the Best Picture nominees. Um, so I I would have I I heard great things about Shoplifters, especially. Yeah. Um, but uh, Roma was the only one I got to. Yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised if Shoplifters got foreign language film and Roma took Best Picture. That's kind of what I was expecting. Which would uh, be, you know, I hate that. I hate the yeah. very idea of it, of, of a foreign uh, language strategic film? voting. Yeah. Like, just vote for the best thing in the category. Right. Yeah, you no, know? I completely agree. I completely agree. The strategic thing is really what's ruining a lot of it. Um I, so Alfonso Cuaron wins for Roma. He, he he gets up there and he says a wonderful comment. The thing about how he goes, how I loved, he how growing up he loved foreign films, Citizen Kane, Jaws, yes. Godfather, Rashomon, Breathless. I thought that was great. It's like, look, a little perspective, people. In a way, it almost under, it kind of undermined the whole idea of a foreign language film category, which I've always kind of thought. I'm like, it's the best film. They're all films. They're all films. So shouldn't they all compete in the big one? But, you know, at least they get... I mean, I know John Lasseter, like, this, uh, like the Sony animation thing, he lobbied for... Sony animation. Like the best animation film, animated feature. Lasseter lobbied for a long time because he knew that no one could, no one could never compete because it's ghettoized. It's marginalized. It's, uh, it's, uh, they, it's not viewed as a legitimate film. And yeah. so they're like, well, we need our own category then. And I always was very sad by that because I was like, it should be able to compete because it is legitimate. And um, so I feel the same way about foreign language film, but I also understand the fact that not a lot of people care in America like the rest of the world cares, <laughs> it seems like. Uh, so that's Well, either, Roma, Roma got recognized in both categories. <coughs> so it's the, um, it's the counter example here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not best foreign film; it's best foreign language, language film, film. Right? Okay, all right. Since most moviegoers won't go see a subtitled film, right? Right. Um, I think, and you know, this is this isn't just the movies prize. This is the Hollywood prize, right? Yeah, In Hollywood. No, you're is, right. It's the Hollywood. It's an English based. Uh, Industry, so I mean, it makes sense to me. Um, you know, these this is this isn't the World Series. <laughs> well, the World Series isn't the World Series, but it's not it's not like the global championship of film. Right, it's meant to promote. It's meant to be able to uh, garner enough excitement to be able to, to promote the product further. If you get an Oscar nomination or an Oscar win, you can. You can expect so much more return on your products. People are interested. That's it. It's the only reason yeah. they do it. I mean, this is all about Hollywood's idea of what a good movie is. Right. And pushing what they right. want to sell. And so, and, and unfortunately, despite the fact that I kind of got what I wanted with the ceremony, which was just nominees win speech, nominees win speech. Uh, at the end of it, I actually ended up feeling less excited to see another Oscar ceremony. Because I'm just, it just felt more. I don't know. Well, we'll get to that. 
I I personally would have to wait about a year before I could watch another Oscars. <laughs> well, I was just less. I was just less. Um, I felt less good about the movie industry, despite everything good that happened that night. I don't know why. All of Alfonso Cuarón's um, Cuarón's um, speeches. Like I wanted Cliff's notes for him because in all of them he said something like that. Oh, I got to go look that up later. Right. <laughs> or see yeah, what he was talking about. I did. But this one had a great. Uh, I think it closed with a great quote. Yeah. There are no waves. There is only the ocean. Me it's too. Beautiful. That's exactly what I was going to say next. I love the comment. And he said. So he said um, when asked about the new wave, Claude Chabrol said, "There are no waves. There is only ocean." The nominees tonight have proven that we are part of the same ocean. And then the audience. Did nothing. Silence. And I was like, yeah, how did he bumps. not get an applause break for that? How? I, I literally, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, how is no one applauding that? Is is he not liked? Or personally or something? Or or was there nobody listening or cared? But like, um, I was really, really kind of shocked that, because it was such a, a great statement and such a great um, message to say there's all these wonderful styles and we're all in this there's no waves there's only ocean and we're all part of this big thing and 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 nobody reacted i was so disheartened <laughs> uh claude chabrol a french new wave filmmaker uh-huh. i don't i'm looking scanning his filmography i don't think i've seen any of I, them I, I don't think i did either I looked through it all earlier today too, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I've seen one. Some, uh, some film student I am. <laughs> well, we did have a, well, I don't know what to call it, what kind of education we had in film. Oh, he has a movie titled Les Biches, but unfortunately, Biches translates to the does, is in, is <laughs> in a deer, a female, a female deer. deer? Yeah, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. So yeah, he had a lot of great, he had a lot of great speech, and each time he got up, his first thing he did was thank the two actresses first, and then other people in the crew, each time to say, it, "This this is really you know you guys made this." It was classy. classy. Uh, it was it was um, humble, and he was prepared. He had a different prepared speech for every prize he got. You That's know? right. Yeah. At least as, at least it seemed prepared. If it yeah. wasn't, he's a very eloquent speaker off the cuff. I would not be surprised if both are true. Then we move, we ready to move on. Yes, please. All right. So the next thing is, was uh Kegel, Michael key drops sending from the ceiling. <laughs> Looks like he'd been doing it all and, his life. And a nice twirl. And a little um, Trump joke there at which the is, end with the not knowing how to close the umbrella. Uh, um, yeah, a little bit Keegan of Michael physical Key is always welcome. Physical comedy, yeah, he's good. Um, his descending from the ceiling um, seemed at odds with me, which with the stage design, the swirly stuff, yeah, which kept changing color. But at that point, it was like blue and white, and I was thinking, are they underwater? Are they supposed <laughs> to be? Those supposed to be like ocean currents 
and then he's coming down with an umbrella. I'm like, but wait, he's in the sky. <laughs> Where are we right now? I don't. Well, get he can't concept. sail in. He's in the sky space. They can just swirl down. But it did kind of seem like Mary Poppins sleeps with the fishes, you know, kind of. <laughs> so he introduces the song, Mark Scheiman's uh, nominated song, Where uh, the Lost Where Things the Lost Go. Things go. Performed by Miss M, they called her. Good old Bette What do you think of this performance? What do you think of the song and the performance? Uh, I have strong opinions on both. Yeah, you know what? I don't know if I can say because I'm going to admit something embarrassing here. Her dress distracted me the entire time. You were looking at old lady boobs. Well, you know, quite like our last discussion about Taraji P. Henson's dress. How we were. Yes, her, her smoldering sexuality. Yeah, that just dripped off the screen. But the whole thing, you were like, we're. She's got something on underneath that, but why am I seeing the? So I'm, so I'm looking at her dress, going, okay, I know they've got the veil and the nude kind of part things there, and then the sleeves are bare, so it gives the impression that there isn't an, a slip or a chemise underneath. But those stupid flowers are placed kind of purposefully. And, and wait, am I? Is there nothing on her? Like that's all I could think about, and I, could, I go, why are you thinking about this? Stop thinking about it. It's dumb. Don't be, I didn't hear a dang word to the thing at all. Uh, so I didn't have any opinions I, about any of it. I, I took note of her decalotage, uh, but I did not go hunting for more, um, <laughs> I gotta say. So, uh, so I like this song. This was my second favorite song in the category. Mm. I haven't seen the movie. Me neither. Uh, and I always, I always judge the songs by the role they play in the film, absolutely, right? As absolutely. much as how well they're written um, as a standalone song. And um, I think it's a nicely, it's a nicely written song. It's not a great mm-hmm. song, but, um, and then I got to hear the Emily Blunt performance of it, even though I haven't seen the film. Um, but as I understand it, so in the plot, have you seen it, Mary Poppins Returns? I wanted to, but I have not. I guess it's part of the movie where they've lost their mother, right? Okay. She's dead. And so Mary Poppins is trying to uh, reassure the little boy. So she's singing him this song about the sleep. And so it's really all about his dead mother, right? Right. Um, and it's very delicate, and she's singing it in a very warm way. And it's great. I, you know, it like for that, like okay, write this song. That's the lullaby that makes it's Mary Poppins trying to reassure her, the boy, you know, who misses his dead mother. Like if you're ordered to write that song and then you wrote where the lost things go like you did a good job right right um and then bet midler takes this like very emotionally delicate song and she just makes it all about herself she's mugging through the whole thing yeah she's not she's she's singing like she's not even thinking about what the words mean and it drove me crazy. Like this isn't from a distance you know right right but right. she was she's all she was just doing like mugging, yeah it's just all about her and so I, I, I give her a big fat F for that performance. She sang it fine. I mean, well, you know, obviously she did. Chops were good, but the treatment. I mean, her technically. Technically, um, it's fine. She's she's saying, competently. She's saying, wow. Um, her her pipes have. She's been taking good care of those pipes. Um, but the the but intensive I thought, performance. I thought her. Yeah. I thought her. Yeah, I thought her treatment of the material was just. Clod hopping. 
uh, Seymour made the, a joke. She said, uh, she looks the same as she did 30 years ago, like a man in drag. <laughs> uh, my... It's not a very kind joke, no, it's but not. that's Seymour. It's Seymour's. <laughs> my, uh, my wife said um, something at this point in the show, too. She came in and she said that she had heard, I might cut this, she said she'd heard on uh, the K Rock or one of the radio morning DJ shows that everyone was making fun of the choices of presenters. Like they said, they, the Academy is struggling to get new younger viewers, so they're trying to get young people in. And then their presenters are Bette Midler and um, uh, who else uh, was that ilk? Um, someone else there that night that was like, and he's like, they were like, what? And they're all making fun of him. Like, what are they doing? Why are they getting these old people and? They're trying to get young members just stupid. And Carrie goes, well, no, no, they're not stupid. They know who their audience is. The gays. That's <laughs> who their audience is. What's funny about Seymour's joke is that Bette Midler doesn't look like a man in drag. Men in drag try to look, look like, like Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um this uh, throughout her performance i noticed they kept you kept hearing the sound of the crowd going nuts so happy to see bet midler but whenever they cut to the crowd it was always to blank women's faces just going like this just like wishing they were looking at their phone you know and i was like the, the two things just didn't mix i was i i've no i have no doubt that they were the crowd was going nuts but <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why they were showing the people who were not going nuts. maybe they were all sitting by uh, ryan coogler yeah he's like oh we almost got him <laughs> ryan coogler's a vampire that's it that's why they couldn't get him i guess unless they were if they were using a mirrored dslr then okay yeah but they were not using a mirrored dslr so you're right my theory doesn't hold water all right uh Okay, where were we? Okay, so now we come to... Yeah, who introduced this one? Michael Keaton with Best Editing. So we had Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, and Vice. Michael Keaton, not even trying to be funny. Just being yeah. Michael Keaton. We, I, 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 I would watch a channel of just Michael Keaton being Michael <laughs> Keaton. Just all day long. Could totally do that. So did you have a favorite in this category? Who was your pick for Best Film Editing? Um, this was a complicated one for me. I didn't have, um, I, everything in that was nominated, I didn't have, except for the favorite, uh, I didn't have a, um, favorite. I had strengths and weaknesses for all of them. Okay. I didn't have a favorite for the, except for the favorite. So I would I I I I was told I would if I, if I was going to give it to him I would have given it to either Black Klansman or The Favorite. I would have given it to Black Klansman too, and mostly for the two best sequences of uh, of the film, the Stokely Carmichael or whatever he changed the name to um, uh, rally, and then the you know the the um, cross cutting between the the Klan initiation and Birth of a Nation screening and mm -hmm. um, Harry Belafonte. Uh, I, I thought, you know, I mean, those sequences were all built around, around the editing. Yeah. And I thought they were great. They were, they were the highlights of the film and like the most powerful uh, parts of the movie. I thought the favor had very good editing, um, notably good. Um, especially the way 
it like had a strategy of going from moments of like real absurdity to like shocking violence or, or, right. or, or tragedy. Um, uh, I like that a lot. Um, for vice, I'll use the joke. I saw some, this is someone else's joke about Bohemian Rhapsody, Rhapsody that it didn't win for best editing. It won for most editing. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the uh, hypothesis that uh, this was recognition that they had to salvage a movie out of right. the wreck that um, Brian Singer had left when he was fired. Yeah. And so the, the that they managed to put together a movie at all that and that was done in the editing room. That, that That's yeah. what this Oscar was for. That's probably very true in the sense that, that the crew went through hell they salvaged a product that did very well and got a lot of got a lot of love despite it not being that great and so part of it was like i can see there's like like a bunch of talented people on a crew that have just gone through a hellish situation so i can i can get that for sure you know so now we're going to best supporting actor james bond and imperator furiosa uh presenting and uh, and Charlize's hair uh, made Seymour comment. This must be the year of the dark brown bob. She noted. <laughs> she noted that hairstyle bob. was very prominent tonight. Now this was a time when I was running downstairs getting groceries. I know because I was so mad that I missed uh, the first three clips. I came in during Richard E. Grant's clip, so I was really. I was like, oh no! I thought. I wanted to know what Mahershala's uh, clip was, because and and Adam Drivers, because I was certain I knew what they were. <laughs> I was wrong. On I one think. Of them. Okay, I'm going to try to remember. I think Mahershala's clip might have been about how how he had to call um, JFK. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. that. I I, I listened Bobby. back to it, and uh, I'd been recording it for this show, so I uh, I uh, listened back to it later, and then uh, I figured. To me, and, and I was, again, I was embarrassed to feel it, that, that I felt this way, but my favorite moment in, uh, or my favorite scene in Black Klansman is when uh, Ron gives uh, Flip his KKK membership card. Yeah. And, and Adam Driver is, 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 has his speech about how I, I, I was Jewish, but I never cared. I never thought about it. Now I'm thinking I know, about, I think it, all about it all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah, that was it was so powerful. <laughs> and then I don't I don't want this. <laughs> so so did you think Adam Driver's uh, deserved his nomination? Because um, I like Adam Driver, and I like Adam Driver. His performance didn't like do anything special for me. I, I loved that scene, but the, the rest of it didn't do much for me. Uh, I, I'm I'm okay with his nomination. I certainly am. People have been nominated for a lot less, um, but there. But let's just say my when I made my Carney's awards, which I could start sharing in these top categories, none of the nominees were in here. Okay, I thought none this was a, a weak field. It um, was a weak field when we had tons of other better performances. Now let's not get that round. Mahershala Ali was really good. And I got a few things to say about why he should be commended for several things. Uh, he, was, Driver he was good. He was very was, good. Adam Driver was very good. Sam Elliott was very good. And is it's weird that he's not nominated. hasn't been nominated before. Yeah, e. I Grant, love Sam Elliott. 
Richard E. Grant was the only one on my list who was in my runners up. I kept putting him in and putting him out and putting him in and putting him out because I really, I really liked him in the movie, but I also felt like it was probably pretty easy for him to do. Like he was just having a lot of fun. Uh, it's a uh, very fun performance. It's a very fun performance. Yeah. And uh, um, so there's that. Sam Rockwell, I was surprised he was nominated. Um, and, uh, but um, he, he's, when I saw Vice, he's eerily good as Bush, except for one thing. Like, like, what did you think of his Bush performance? You know, it's like the third or fourth best Bush impersonation I've seen. But as a performance, like what his, what, like what choices are you watching Bush make in this movie that are interesting choices, right? Like, yeah, the the script isn't the script didn't warrant him to get nominated. Obviously, the script what no. part wasn't there enough for it to be anything. So when you're watching Sam Rockwell, yeah. you're going, wow, he's he's really putting thought motivation into every twitch, into every look or reach for a piece of chicken or whatever. Everything he's doing is great and it works, but the part has nothing there that's worth watching. And the but the and, and the and so in a way I was like, I was wrong. Sam Rockwell is actually a great choice for Bush, except for one problem. The one quality that Bush has that Sam Rockwell just didn't exhibit there was well, one he was a, he's a big he's a tall guy, isn't he? Isn't Bush rather, yeah, bigger figure? Is that feeling that Bush had one quality that Clinton also had that Bill Clinton almost had, also had, which is that when you're in a room with him and he's talking to you, you felt like you were the only person in the room. Yeah, like like you he made you feel important. And that's why that's one of the ones. Well, it's one gift he had that hid a lot of his more submaronic <laughs> tendencies uh, that made him feel bigger, larger than life. And Sam Rockwell was just a huge fuck up. I mean, I mean, in the movie, uh, didn't he that he like if 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 the Sam Rockwell uh, version of Bush was the real Bush, he never would have been president ever. Because he needed to have that made that that feeling that 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 wow. hit that was able people people were able to look past that because when you looked at him like oh you I feel important at least that's what I've heard that he yeah. was able to do right right and so when can... Dick Cheney goes back and says this could really be something I'm like what what do you like like. What you say you see, I don't see. <laughs> not out of not out of the way that character's written. Well, you know. the you know, right. The script is written as such that Bush has no <laughs> no no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Right. Um and that he's only president because Cheney had a conversation with uh, Samuel Alito about the unitary executive. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, we got more to say about Vice. I'll I'll try to contain it, but um, for me, my supporting actor choices for the year were Hugh Grant for Paddington Two, Jake Which Gyllenhaal. I seen. It's tremendous. It's all I hear. Uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal for the Sisters Brothers, Josh Hamilton for Eighth Grade, uh, Michael B. Jordan for Black Panther. Yeah. And then um, 
one I kept switching in and out of lead or supporting was Robert Downey Jr. in Infinity War. I kept flipping him in and out of lead because he is technically a lead, but he's not. Well, actually, Thanos is the lead. And then yeah. uh, no one else. Um, he's not in it that much. Now, my runners up, my runners up go down from uh, Simon Russell Beale from Death of Stalin, Adam Driver from Black Landsman, Tate Ellington from The Endless, Richard E. Grant from Can You Forgive Me, Tom Holland from Infinity War, Sam Rockwell from Vice, Knockhell Smith from Mid-90s, and Alex Wolf from Hereditary, and Mahershala Ali from Green Book. I got a ton of other people for honorable mention, but I'm not going to go into those. Uh, <laughs> I, I forgot about uh, the death of Stalin. That got no love. Got nothing. And Simon Russell Beale, to me, is pulls out an amazing performance in that. Um, uh, and so he was one that I kept flipping in and out of. I was like switching Robert Downey Jr. and him from lead to supporting, from lead to supporting. But if who out of the five that I mentioned, who I would give it to, it's a tie actually, actually between Jake Gyllenhaal and Josh Hamilton. Because Jake Gyllenhaal, for some, like, I've never really been a Jake Gyllenhaal like, woo Jake Gyllenhaal. He's always been fine. But the sisters brothers for some reason his performance in that is just he he speaks with a very mannered um almost dead woodian kind of eloquence in an otherwise not eloquent surrounding uh and i buy every fucking second of it and i can see everything he's thinking when he's saying something else and it and see how it comes across as genuine he's he's genius in it and then Josh Hamilton is perfect as her as the our lead character's dad, single dad in the eighth grade, and he's got probably the single best monologue of the year. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm about to cry thinking about it. Never mind. <laughs> but it's uh, stop uh, thinking about it. I'm trying not to. Now it's all I can think about. But so yeah, none of the guys that I would have picked would have been in there. Um, but I was going to as much as I love. Uh, can I ever forgive? Can you ever forgive me? I guess. Well, I don't know. I don't know who I, I think Mahershala probably, they probably did the right one. Mahershala, um, he was good. Uh, he's deserving. I would have given a slight edge to Sam Elliott just for the driveway scene. And oh, <laughs> which I just finally finished today. And yeah, that thanks for making me cry again. Yeah. <laughs> well, him and Bradley Cooper and that make that so great. Just that, the, the throwaway, it wasn't him I idolized, it was you, slam. And then he immediately starts pulling out and turns. Immediately and throws it in reverse, yeah. Immediately throws it in. We have to get away and, from this, yeah. Yeah, I've got to get away before I start crying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's already crying, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I was surprised that wasn't the Oscar clip. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, but yeah, so Mahershala gets up. And you know what? In, in doing a little more research after the fact and whatever, Mahershala has handled the controversies of, these, of this movie and the production and the, his collaborators in the movie in a manner that deserves an award all of itself. Um, but once again, a man of color is expected to shoulder the burden of it for compensating for his fellow white folks' transgressions otherwise. So after, after, after they have revealed it to him. One's assuming. Plus, he's only to be disregarded once again at the end of the night. 
which we'll get to that later. Uh, all his appearances on stage, though, are gracious and they're delicate and genuine, but they're very carefully mannered, as you can see in the unpleasant weight of all these malfeasances weigh on the one guy who wasn't even presumably complicit in them. And plus, he's great in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, give him the give him the Oscar. But you could tell he was he was uh, uh, he had gratitude, but he was also like it was tainted and he was trying to not express that. I could tell he, he uh, seemed uh, deliberately restrained. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll talk more about him when we get deeper into Green Book. Gotcha. Um, I will say at this point. <laughs> that dress stocking hat. I want that hat. You do, okay. Because I've been looking for something where you can look uh, classy when it's cold, and that will keep yeah. you warm oh, on your right. head, like a dress hat. Except I would pull it down over my ears, which would probably ruin the effect. Probably, but my ears get cold. Right now, I, I, the shape of your head, I think you could pull that hat off. Um, no, I want to pull it down. Right. <laughs> no, I want, I want to pull it, it further on. That's my but point. I, I I couldn't pull that off, and um, I think few people can besides Mahershala Ali. Maybe yourself. You're saying I'm pointy-headed. No, I'm saying there's a you're... it's a stocking hat instead of with the toque fuzzy ball. It's got like the derby fold. Yeah, well, the toque fuzzy ball should never have been a thing. Well, I, I don't know why that true. became a thing. Oh, it's nice. Dumb. Adds nothing. It's like a little heat antenna. It helps draw <laughs> heat to your head. Is that what it does? Okay. From the ionosphere. Now, at this point, the show does something very strange, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. <laughs> the, tr uh, the commercial for... Um, Marriott Bonvoy. Whatever, whatever that is. Which we should know because they spent a whole commercial break telling us about it. And it seemed like it was going to be like when they announced it, like uh, Hollywood films are about to travel. And I thought it was going right. to be like an airline commercial or something. Well, I just thought it was going to be another another montage or something like they were saying, this is something officially the thing. And then it zooms into this screen with just twinkles on it. And you're waiting there for a second. And then it fades out to a commercial. It starts with that. And I'm like, what the fuck? But then it came back to the uh, ceremony after, uh, after just that Bonvoy segment. So I'm like, oh, was this like that in-show in slow-motion video phone that we saw last time with the <laughs> shittiest slow motion? <laughs> it's like, so and I would say that this was worse because the other one said was like, hey, everyone, stop. This is what we're not going to do a commercial in the show. This yeah. one was like, hey, we're going to take you on this little trip down Hollywood memory lane and the commercial. Oh, turns out you like... should have been peeing right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, fuck you. Now, I um, was confused because they kept showing these other hotel logos like W Hotel right. and whatnot. I'm like, aren't these competitors? Is this like something where you can hop? Uh, around competitor no they're all owned by marriott international and we were all just supposed to have known that just like how days in and nights in are both <laughs> and owned by the same 
comfort in and sleep in. Yeah, and they're all it's like why are they why aren't they all just days in or whatever? Like I don't hotel chains are weird. Why do they even maintain the separate brands? Like what's like oh well I okay, I'll sleep at a days in, but I really prefer a nights in. Right. <laughs> you know? Like there's no difference. You drive past them on the highway, they look exactly the same. Why do they maybe why do they bother? Maybe it's that if someone sues the days in into oblivion, the nights in remain unaffected. Now the oblivion, that, that's a hotel I want to stay <laughs> the at. Oblivion. <laughs> that's that's there you go. Next up, Laura Dern. I'm sorry, I'm just imagining the sign. <laughs> um, Laura Dern, that's right. Announcing the Hollywood Museum. Okay. Yeah, uh, still <laughs> under construction. Um, it's not here yet. Yeah. Laura Dern, last year was my uh, number two fashion pick of the night. I remember. Uh, uh, tonight's still looking good, but, uh, uh, you know, the... It wasn't wasn't in the same league for me. Same mess to the dress. Go back to last year's designer, Laura, please. <laughs> please be so last year. <laughs> um, you know, I honestly, the Hollywood Museum was something I probably would have just gone gaga for when I was in, probably up until college. Now I, I don't really, I don't know. <laughs> Our greatest moments. Forrest Gump over Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Here's a napkin for Bubba Gump Shrimp. <laughs> Not used in the movie, but at the local, found at the local one. Um, did you have anything else to say about the museum? No. There's not much to say. Now I have, okay, so can I, can I start off with this one? Because this yes. is something I really want to talk about. Sure. Me too. I have lots of notes here. Lots of notes here. Uh, we now come out, um, uh, Pharrell Williams and um, Michelle Yeoh come out mm -hmm. to announce the award for Best Animated Future. Now, we've already talked about our how we feel about this kind of segregated category. And I'm sure you have some fashion notes to talk about. <laughs> yes. But, but for me, first and foremost, I found this uh, award show banter to be highly effective. I was offended and insulted. I didn't hear a word they said. <laughs> You're looking at his camo shorts. And... I well, no, no. I looked at his camo shirts. outfit, and then when they did a wide shot later, I went and their shorts with white and white socks, socks. and Doc Martens, <laughs> black Doc Martens, and under and under his double-breasted camouflage jacket, a a I don't know what you kind call that kind of collar. It's like a kind of collar on like a. A tuxedo shirt. Yeah. Uh, so this like is a, an out a down collar. I think that might be called. Now I know you can. And make then the worst of all was the jeweled <laughs> necklace. Like, <laughs> I, I might have been able to forgive it, but the shirt was the like didn't work the under there. The, yeah. And then the jeweled necklace is like, now you're trying to make me mad. <laughs> like, you're trying to offend me with this. This outfit. was a guy in a motor on a unicycle riding into a parking garage. That's what this was. He's on a vehicle in a place for vehicles. <laughs> this guy, like, okay, I'm gonna go with the little boy camping outfit, but I'm gonna put on a jeweled necklace underneath it. No, no, no. 
Didn't Pharrell used to wear a hat that would have matched this outfit? Didn't he? Hat, used like, to... Yeah, his uh, man in the yellow hat hat that wasn't yep, yellow. That was yellow. The Arby's hat he used to wear. Uh, yeah, that would have gone with well with this. Um, but he was hatless, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I was too angry at it. <laughs> to really tell. But yeah, this is an outfit that if I would wear anywhere, I would at the very least be yelled at. I mean, that's just... That's just the truth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you walk into a room with that and like, come the fuck on. <laughs> what you are know? you doing? <laughs> like, maybe he was late and he was supposed to be up there with Melissa McCarthy and... He came, he came, he came yeah. from his uh, shooting of Full Metal Jacket Babies, you know? That's he was where he, a, Jim Henson's Full Metal of uh, Major Pain Babies or something. I don't he know. He was supposed to be up there with Brian Tyree Henry and Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> and the you go, he was late. We'll fit, we'll fit you in here. There you go. Yeah, man, that makes more sense. I feel better about that now. But then the so so the 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 blood drains for the thing. And then he's that this is this is I, I transcribed the uh, the things he said that, that they both said. OK, now I'm not really necessarily mad at Pharrell and Michelle Yeoh. I'm more mad at the whoever wrote this copy. So this is what they said. Pharrell says the Bible says. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. And when I became a man, I put away childish things. Michelle says, when we move through adulthood, we look back fondly on those simpler times, the creativity we exhibited, our fearlessness, how we approach new things with wonder. Pharrell, the films nominated for best animated feature possess the ability to move us all. No need to put things away but instead embrace and enjoy a shared experiences. Michelle, here are the nominees for best animated feature film. Fuck you. <laughs> what? So they, so they're it saying sounds like they're trying to say one thing and they end up saying exactly sounding they, like they're saying the opposite. It, you're exactly right. They're trying to yeah. say they're trying by saying, we all know that this stuff is kids stuff, but these movies you're very genre and thing, and, and you're very like, like the they're trying to say that the very nature of animation is beneath is a childish thing that's only something for a child. You know, I, th I think what and they were a, trying to write was you may think cartoons are just for kids, right? But they're not. And, but, and it, what they said, but it's was, so clumsily written that it just sounds like they're saying cartoons are for kids. Kids. But you should pay attention to these. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was so angry. Or really angry. Um uh or, you know, as an adult, allow cartoons to make you feel like a kid again, you know. Right. But you know what? Not all cartoons do make you feel like a kid again. No, of course not. And, and there's right. claymation. That's animation. It's not necessarily kid. There's stop motion. Claymation makes blah, blah, everybody blah, blah, blah. feel grown up. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just saying. I just really made. I, yeah, it sounded like they were I trying think, to say one I thing. I think the California raisins we talking about. are and they, very mature subject matter. And they did it again later. They did it again later, and I'll we'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, so uh, okay, so the nominees were, if I can find them, um, The Incredibles two, Isle of Dogs. I think I'm pronouncing this right. Mirai. Is that how they said? We'll drop it in. No idea. Uh, Ralph breaks the internet and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. 
Did you have strong feelings about any of these categories? Uh, <laughs> Which ones uh, did you nominees? see? Yes, very. So I, I did not see. I haven't seen any of the Ralph movies. <clears throat> the first one's amazing. Um, I really love the first one. I haven't seen the second I one. Saw, I saw Incredibles 2, amazing action sequences. I didn't really care for the story overall, um, especially the perplexing choice to set up their fantastic futuristic home with this moving furniture and then not use that when there's a battle in the home. <laughs> like, I, what? I didn't, why did they bother to set that up? Um, Isle of Dogs, I loved it a lot. And I, I still want to show that to my uh, kids. Um, but Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I think it might be the best Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah, I might even be the best movie of the year. <laughs> well, not, it, I don't think so, but it might be the best Marvel movie for sure. It's inc- unbelievably incredible. It's a movie that I when I saw it, I'm like, why are they doing? Why are they yeah. doing this movie? Especially now, like sandwiched right. in between two other Spider-Man movies, they're rebooting. So it's like yeah. the, it's the fourth reboot of the franchise. What is this? It felt like a cast grab. I looked at everything. The two movies that I've had the biggest 180 degree turnaround on. Like, I well, I don't want anything to do with this movie. And then I see it for whatever reason, and I'm like, oh, I love this movie. It's Spider-Man and Turn of the Universe and A Star is Born. Those are the two. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Le- a Lego movie, which was... <laughs> no, I, I oh, no, no, I meant just of this year. Oh, this is the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the Lego, Lego movie was like, why are they doing that? And the Lego movie is like yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time. Right, right. It's movies it's just... that were far better than they had any right to be. If I only if I only had a, two, I really only have two quibbles with Spider-Man entire the universe and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I only have two, and the two and they're so minor. One of them is they keep talking about Spider-Man like it's a thing to achieve, like a thing. But I see what they're doing. They're trying to get to a bigger point. And I then have the, a comment on that. And then the other thing is of everyone's drawn pretty realistically and then the kingpin is drawn like incredibly unrealistically he's the only one that doesn't really fit in the world that he's in and he's and his his leave schreiber voices him like just a big goomba but but he would seem to be drawing a trump parallel without doing a trump impression it really sounded like he was really just getting in on that trump goomba kind of that wannabe goomba kind of attitude that made me think of him but um and who knows if that was on his mind at the time i don't know when he recorded the the dialogue but um he sounded a little more like dock worker yeah to me than, than trump does but like man what a fu- what a movie like i could not process how good every moment was just so inventive it just keeps yeah. throwing new things that you visually and, and, uh, and, and plot wise and character wise. And I, I also so took, inventive. I did take exception to the fact that Peter Parker had an underground Spider-Man base or a spider cave, but I let that slide. Cause that was alternate universe. It's alternate universe. <laughs> right. It's the one where so you had I let a hit that record. slide. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, and I, but That's, the economy of what they were able to achieve in that too. Like, do you remember one thing I love is when the opening thing, when Chris Pine uh, is who voices the original spider, the, well, not the original, but the first Spider-Man we meet 
he um he's going through and he says you know, I just like swing through and he's swinging through New York and you see a big sign that says Coca Soda and it's with a K. It's a Coca Cola logo, but it says K O. Did you see, remember this? I inst- do you know what I'm talking about? Not distinctly. They just swing by and it says it. He's a shot of him swinging in front of it and it says Coca Soda with a K, but then it says so soda. And then we, we meet Miles Morales and we meet all the other thing. And, oh, and well, just that this, the brands are a little bit off. It's just a little bit off. Is, and then, is this and what then, you mean? And then when, when Jake Johnson, Spider-Man, when Peter B. Parker, is, the Peter Parker that we are in our universe, we're familiar with, he comes in, uh, he comes in and goes, okay, let's take it from the top. And he does the same intro, kind of, but it's a little different, a little more depressing, a little more yeah. giving his story. You swing, he swings by... A sign, the same sign that says Coca-Cola, the real way. Right. Well, there's like and a then, Red Man Group sign. Right, right, right. See, right. And then when he's sucked into the, when, when when he's pulled through the vortex and brought into this Miles's universe, he's standing in front of the Coca Soda sign, and I just thought, what a fucking, it just everything's filled with these very very quick, um, like, like if if. If this were Inception, they'd have to go down through all the things each time and show you how he passed through and keep reminding you which one is it. And these guys get it. They're just like, hey, this is the, the world has this in it. And then when you see it something, when you see it different, you're like, I'm not in this world. And you know, you just know. And yeah. like, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it doesn't have to hold your hand because it gave you the information and gave it to you. It's, it's, it's the mark of a good writer. Like, like, uh, just like you said with last episode with Laurie Metcalf. Saying, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you. You mean later. last year's episode? Last year's episode. I'm sorry. What did I say? <laughs> so like, so like, it's that, it's, it's that you go, I'm in good hands. I'm in really good hands here. Just phenomenal. And Mahershala Ali in this movie too. Uh, that's right. Uncle, He's uh, Uncle the Al. Prowler. And the Prowler. Yeah. I'm so, so glad to see the Prowler on the big screen. I love the Prowler. And I just, I was in Tombstone and I was so glad to see them both on screen. Oh, it's exciting. <laughs> Sorry. Hands down. Observe that award. Maybe even been nominated for Best Picture, really. So freaking good. I'd be okay with that. I think um I think what here's my one line take on it. I think uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse makes a sneaky, successful play at casting spider-man as the preeminent superhero in our culture today right which 30 I years think ago he is. 30 years ago this would have been a superman movie yes and today it's a spider-man movie yeah because so much of the story is just about the idea of being spider-man and it's understood that means uh suffering sacrificing see- seeking redemption through sacrifice giving being willing to to give up everything to help others yeah and never giving up always getting every up. day and never giving up that's right and right. you know recognizing that that's going to be a constant struggle for the rest of your life right and there's no relief from it and so you just commit yourself to that and um and brown-haired uh peter <laughs> parker you know is failing because he's not living up to that and so yeah uh, he's redeemed by Miles Morales uh, in the course of that movie. Yeah, yeah. 
It's amazing. And I love the character work and voice work on uh, on Miles. He's just, he's an incredible character. So well realized. And I love his dad. His dad is one of my favorite yeah. characters in that. He's, just, is, he's a very well-written character, yeah. Yeah, he's very well and he's very well-performed. Oh, come on. You, you know how I feel about Spider-Man. <laughs> just like, his performance is perfect. So... Of all the alternate universes they could have conceived, and maybe, I don't know if this is in the source comic book or not. Um, I know Peter Porker is in the comic book. Yeah. But all of the variations, other than the two main ones, um, which are just like opposite versions of Peter Parker, essentially the super competent, super, <laughs> you know, right. the uh, the Steve Rogers version of Peter Parker. Yeah. right. Who's also rich. Um, and then the, the schlubby, the schlubby loser, Peter Parker, but the other three we meet are all variations on some kind of pop culture phenomenon. Right. Right. We have the, the funny animal comic Looney tune. It's really a Looney mm -hmm. tune version more than a funny animal. Did you, comic did you ever read the version. flaming carrot version, uh, comics of spider ham or, um, or the, what's the, I've read spider ham, but that's yeah, they're separate from flaming carrot. You might be thinking of Captain Carrot and his zoo crew. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not Flaming Carrot. Right. With Pig Iron and um, what's the other character's name? I can't remember. But, yeah, I remember reading it, and I was so thrilled to see. I've always loved Spider-Ham, and I like I thought. and I, Although I didn't realize this, that he was a spider bitten by a radioactive pig. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's John Mulaney. That's so great. I could not get through the first five minutes of John Mulaney's stand-up. Are you kidding me? That guy bugs the hell out of me. It's so weird because I think you guys are so alike. Uh, it's so weird. That's exactly what I was afraid of. It's like, is this how I come off when I'm trying to be funny? Is I this how people so see good. me? I think he's so good. Maybe that's so why I good. couldn't take it. Well, he's got a different presentation than he's kind of got a he's got a wide eye. He's kind of got the the Springsteen lyrics thing going on where he's got a wide eyed optimism, but he's really saying something horrendously dark or or shameful but yeah he uh yeah i i figured you'd either love him or hate him i, I but yeah i i think he's I, I love his specials i love i got any times i get to listen to them i do but yeah so so uh, uh like so when they get up to accept the award chris miller and phil lord who i just i, I don't see anything they do uh, again when solo was announced i was like i don't that's a bad idea. I don't want to do anything about it. But with the, don't want to do anything with it. Chris, uh, Christopher Miller and Phil Lord are doing it. Oh, well, now I'm interested. They get fired from it. I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> and um, and then uh, uh, this comes out. They take uh, they they have a very nice little speech. Except they don't mention Dan Slott or any of the other writers who actually conceived this. In the comments. I, I was mad. I was mad about that too. I was mad about that because they just kind of said, "Well, you know, we did." That. I was like, "Well, wait a second. They, you know, Dan Slott even tweeted something about where he was saying, "I when we came up with this idea, I fought really hard to get Spider Ham in there." You know, and everyone's like, "It's a inspired choice to put Spider Ham. That feels like a Lord and Miller thing to do." But it would that but he was in there, and um, I think the story's a bit different, and so I, I'm very curious to read it now. Um, and uh, but I did like what the other per what they said in terms of except for not mentioning them. Now they said you know they kept saying that you feel powerful and that we see you. That seemed to be the theme. And once people say oh 
they're like me or they speak Spanish like me, then I think we've done our job. And then the other producer is saying, well, we want you all to know we see you. You're powerful and this world needs you. Those are all very great things. And then they freaking cut off the left Spidey producer. Don't cut him off. <laughs> Let him say something. So the next one was song performance of uh, Ballad yeah. of Buster Scruggs song. Introduced by Casey Musgraves. And I have to admit, I said out loud, who is Casey Musgraves? Ah, you should check out her last album. It's quite good. Oh, okay, great. Ah, um, oh, shit. What's it called? It's like a country. She was a country artist, but she did this crossover album that's got like uh, 80s sounding pop songs. It's got like a disco song with uh, like a plucked melodin, mandolin or banjo line through it. Like it's it's a pretty cool album. Oh, cool. I, uh, I'll check it out. It's a it's a good listen. What's it called? I'll find it. Honey, later. honey time, something like that. Honey time. Anyway, honey time. she's so wearing a, a tutu gone wild. It's grown up to her shoulders. <laughs> Big poofy shoulders this year. We're yeah. back in. Big poofy things. Uh, or. A big swoopy shoulder on one side and then an, uh, an exposed bare shoulder on the other side. I saw right. that more than once. It's uh, like, that's the Zaphod Bieberbrox look, I think. Because those things were usually as big as their head, if not bigger. Um, so again, when Casey Musgraves comes out and delivers the copy that she's been given to read, again, the writers of these intros did something very strange again. She said about... Golden Hour is the Casey Musgraves album. A cinematic term. Golden Hour, right. Okay. So when when these, they're talking about the song When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings, so the writers gave this intro to Casey Musgraves to say. She said, read, she read, it could have been an absurd and comical moment in the film, but the song elevates it into something authentic and beautiful. Uh, uh, excuse it's me? It's an absurd comical moment in the film. <laughs> and, it's, yeah, it's an absurd comical moment in the film. And it can be all of those things. It can be absurd and comical and authentic and beautiful at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive from authentic and beautiful. Fuck you. Because, yeah, when it happens, it's absurd and comical, and then it becomes authentic and beautiful. But, like, what you, what, he's, what they're saying is that absurd and comical are either mutually exclusive or less than. Now, I'll say this. I would have had a hard time coming up with anything interesting to say about this song. <laughs> Granted. But what, what they came up with uh, basically is saying, no, 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 you might think it's the shitty thing. But it's really... We're excusing the fact that we've nominated it, is what they're saying. And I don't like that. I, uh... Okay. Let's, let me talk about this song. I'm a Jillian Welch fan. Uh, me too. I, I have a couple of her albums. Anyway. Um... I, I... The song doesn't do anything for me. First of all, it's a ripoff of The Christian Life. <laughs> right. By the Leuven Brothers, covered by The Birds with Graham Parsons on Sweetheart oh. for the Radio. Right, the bridge, the the chorus. It's 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 the Christian life. It's the same. It tracks right with it. You can't lose a friend by heeding God's call, because what is a friend who'd want you to fall? Like that's the bridge yeah, to same thing to this song, right? And then it comes out of that. Um, Others take pleasure in things I despise. 
I like the Christian life. It's it's the same. It's got the same structure, same melody line. Right. It's uh so that that bugs me. And then that scene, I I like that opening segment from Buster Scruggs. I didn't like every segment, um, but that that sequence didn't. That part of it didn't work for me. <laughs> that took me right out of it. Like right. um, that 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 segment didn't that I didn't I didn't like that ending of the segment. Is that at the bottom of my list? Because I thought uh, I'll fight sucked more. Yeah, it, <laughs> this and is it, a nice. It was absurd and song. comical. <laughs> and it was right. absurd and comical. It was absurd and comical. Don't don't apologize for it. It's fine. He, he's. Uh, as he floats up to heaven, he's also like walking weird, like doing a weird walking motion with his feet. Right, right. <laughs> Very distracting. Yeah. So I was mesmerized by the picture on the real screen projection, uh, the, the 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 mesas, the canyon, yeah, the red deer. Something about it looked different than anything else that had been up there before. Like I was like, oh my god, are those actual, like, um, like printed things they brought up there or like like i was just really entranced by it and their costumes were a stark <laughs> tonal breakage of that i thought despite both being western themes not a fan all right so now we have another best picture introduction with bohemian rhapsody introduced by mike myers and dana carvey what are your thoughts on that it was nice it was nice to see them again you know, weirdly, no new material there, but no. <laughs> that's, remember this thing fine, we I used guess. to do. Uh, Meyer's haircut, by the way, was remarkably good. <laughs> I took note of how it's like, wow, that that haircut is like it, every hair is in place. It's amazing. Um, you know, I watching this part, I couldn't help shake the feeling that Queen not only produced the film Bohemian Rhapsody, but that they also produced the oscars <laughs> <laughs> we cut to them a lot didn't we right we cut to them a lot so then we move Thanks, on world. to uh uh best live action and animated shorts produced uh, by aquafina and, and john, john mulaney wearing my grandma's couch <laughs> yeah now i appreciated their stage banter at least coming from a place of truth you know there's like it's always the best way to go but I really wish presenters would stop uh, using when they're in these types of categories, stop making fun of their perceived lack of importance. Cause it kind of sounds like they're saying they, they aren't very important. <laughs> no one wants to hear that when they get up there, they didn't do it much, but this part was really funny. I thought, so when the person who gets up um, to accept uh, the award for uh, animated short bow, one. I haven't seen any of these, but of course the oh. Pixar. Bow is lovely. Is it? Uh, it was the short before Incredibles 2. Oh, okay. uh, and I, I liked it a lot better than Incredibles 2. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad it, I'm glad it's getting a uh, recognition for that. Um, but they, she's got the two filmmakers are walking up and the announcer's like, <laughs> says this. And I just, I just had, I felt like she was going to say the next, the part I'm tagging on at the end. It says, Awards in this category have been awarded since 1932. So lay the heck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I felt like they were saying. It's like, hey, we've been doing this for a long time. We're going to keep doing it. Stop telling us <laughs> to stop. 
We're going to do this till you care about these films. And then uh, best uh, live action short, which unfortunately I haven't seen any of these. Have you seen these? Uh, oh, I, I should have guessed it out loud because I thought I knew it. Do you know what was the first winner of the Oscar for no, best animated short? I should have just said it. Flowers and Trees, the Merry Melody. Uh, oh, I figured it was a Disney very nice. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's not uh, uh, Water Babies. <laughs> Water Babies never won. Water Babies That's being too my bad. favorite animated so, thing of all time. Uh, documentary short. So I have yeah. uh, so period end of sentence one, and so here's here's what I, I wish I could comment on what they were saying, because. As I was trying to listen to a group of women talk about having their voices heard, finally, my male son is talking all over them and I can't hear a word they're saying. <laughs> he was monologuing about Superpower Training Simulator and I couldn't get him to stop. So, uh, yeah, I didn't hear a thing they said. <laughs> he talked for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Could be they had that type of humor about them but um i don't know I, I i think she said well she said something like didn't she say that that men that a period is is just the end of a sentence not the end of a, of a girl's education so i don't know if there's a class structure in her film that i think i think that's what it means it's okay. like uh equal access to right uh, sanitary pads and right tampons and uh yeah, not shunning quality and uh um, did i not, not having to you... stay home from school just because you're on your period did i not realize that you were doing a bit <laughs> did you not actually know that and we're doing a bit and S i just seymour laughed but... <laughs> that's all that really matters to me by the way i think the key and peel sketch for menstruation orientation should be shown in schools Oh, I haven't seen that. You should watch it. It's pretty amazing. What was Water Babies say? was never even nominated. <laughs> I thought you said that already. Never nominated. Man. So then we come out for Best Visual Effects. Introduced by Paul Rudd and someone else in another pink dress, I noted. Sarah Paulson. Good old Sarah Paulson. Who's Sarah Paulson? She's a very good actress who's been in a lot of stuff. Um, for some reason, the only thing that's coming to mind right now is Diggers, but that's not, that can't be it. She's done, she's done a lot of stuff. She's been in, um, what's her higher, well, she was in, uh, she was in uh, Glass and um, a Bird Box and um, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. <laughs> and uh, she's been in a lot of stuff. Lots of stuff. I think she was in American Horror Story at one point. So, okay. So oh, Paul, she's in 12 Years a Slave. I would have seen so uh, Paul Rudd quotes Chico Marx as soon as he gets out, saying that in Duck Soup, he says, who are you going to believe, me or your eyes? And then they start talking about visual Your lying eyes. You're lying. And I, I thought, sure, his punchline was going to be about Trump. I really did. 
because it's the first thing I thought of, of course. And then uh, he turned it on himself quite nicely, as any good self-effacing comedian does, by saying in VFX convincing audiences that I am an actor. Good job. So First Man took it over, again, the Avengers snub. You got mad at someone else for not crediting the writer in there. You you didn't credit the writer for... You assume Paul Rudd came up with that line. That's so. true. Well, I'm just saying it's a good bit. Okay, yeah, he didn't make me mad. The writer didn't make me mad that time. <laughs> good for him or her. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, say so. Uh, okay, so I haven't seen First Man, so I can't really say one way or the other. Yeah, me neither. But um, I mean, seriously, I forget how amazing of an achievement Thanos is. Not even talking about all the other stuff they did in that movie. But there's really there's really only one time in that whole movie that Thanos never did not seem like totally convincing as a flesh and blood character. And that was in that throne room scene with Gamora where she throws the bowl of food against his throne and says she's always hated that chair. In that scene, he does not look like... He looks animated and doesn't look like he's, he's physically there and his facial expressions aren't as good as aren't as fully realized as everywhere else but i mean just looking at it when he's crushes the tesseract in his hand and little shards are there and he's blowing the dust out and getting the shards out with his thumb it's yeah that did look perfect good. i mean there's nothing about that that's not real and I've so not seen that in a CGI character. Usually they're showing you all the, they're trying to show you how they did every hair just perfectly. And it's all too perfect. And this was just, but this was, it was just real. And I never felt like he wasn't real except for that one scene. And you know what? I'll, for a two and a half hour movie, I'll let one slide. <laughs> but considering that most of that movie is special effects. It's and, and that it, and that I was that engaged in in what was going on more so than I was thrilled by the surroundings. It's I I, I disappointed. Yeah, personally. Oh, I uh, I was just kind of glad that Solo didn't win because I thought it was oh boy, just such a murky, muddy, <laughs> undistinguished movie yeah. visually. Yeah. Okay, now, then comes the next song performance. And I got to tell you, so Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper singing Shallow, we talked about it before. This was, without a doubt, the best staging of an Oscar musical performance ever. Oh, yeah, the blocking was great. And the, the camera the, angle choices. Yeah, and... the, sta the, the, the staging of it is passable to awful, usually. This was a powerful performance with a powerful staging. This staging, I, if a, every year the the director of the Oscars gets nominated for an Emmy for directing a live television event, and every year it's undeserved. For this alone, this I don't know whose idea it was to do it in one shot, emulating the movie by showing the audience in the background, and then actually getting intimate for a change by getting in there at the end. Yeah, there's nothing. It was beautiful. I've never seen. I mean, that performance of the song was different from the performance of the song in the in the movie, but they were both beautiful in their own ways. Which is like, oh, I went okay. Yeah, this Tell is the winner. <laughs> there's no denying it, that. 
it was a it was enough um, to make me wonder if Bradley Cooper had directed that segment. It really did. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And also, uh, I presume they were able to do some sort of warm up, but the way they staged it, trying to make you believe that they were sitting in the audience and just got right up and did it to start yeah. it on. Tell me something without any warm up. That must have been terrifying. <laughs> Unless they were able to do a little bit. But, uh, really good. So, so about the singing. Um, I, okay, I like the song. This was my pick for the award. My song gets stuck in my head all the time. Um, it's it's placement in the movie. Like, it's the best scene in the movie is when they perform it on stage together for the first time. And it's dynamite. It's electric, yeah. right? It's, it's gorgeous and um, and it's not uh, implausible a little bit like that she knows to there's going to be this like vamp part where she has to do these vocal yeah. <laughs> acrobatics <laughs> like you know I don't know where she got the, the, the memo that that was coming but but usually I, mean, I, I would be I would did be... she sing that for him in the parking lot of the <laughs> convenience store but usually I would be having all those thoughts in my head while watching it instead I was just no, you're swept up in it. Swept yeah, up in no, it, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, now, about the singing. <laughs> so, uh, Catherine pointed this out, and she hated the song because she couldn't get over Bradley Cooper singing, Shahalos, Shahalos. What in the at, at the Oscars or at the in the in film? Both in the movie, in the movie oh. too. He sings Shahahalos, whereas Lady Gaga, who knows how to sing, goes. She doesn't do that. She goes Shahalos. She knows how to just hold the A. But Bradley Cooper does Shahalos. I wonder if that's a country music trope, though. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's possible. Shahalos. But here's the other thing. So. Um, the moment where it does the 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 melody rising, ah, fallen, and Bradley yeah. Cooper emphasizes ing, which is just yeah. wrong, right? <laughs> but yeah. it's really hard because it's the highest note, and so you naturally, you naturally right. emphasize the highest note. It just naturally sounds emphasized. And so, whenever when I write a melody, I always like try to be careful to like plan the rises and falls so that, or write the lyrics so that they, they, the stresses match those parts of the melody line. But Lady Gaga can sing, I'm falling and still emphasize the fall. Right. With when the, although the ing is the, is the cresting note. Like, you know, just like listening. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah, notice yeah. it more that performance, but she's doing it live. Like in the movie, I didn't even notice it, but live, like hearing him sing the line and then her sing the line, like she knows how to, sing it yeah. like that's the difference between like a great singer and someone who can just sing good you know yeah i wonder if it i wonder if it was you'd think it would be brought up to say hey you know maybe you should give you a little tip and then if he just never does it just go okay whatever <laughs> he's, <laughs> a, he's a director well in the movie i would have thought it was a strategic choice because like jackson main his musicianship is kind of shitty like yeah. he's very He's very impassioned. 
great and he's entertaining and he's fun, you know, but like that opening number, um, his opening, the uh, number at the, at the opening of the movie that he's playing, like that guitar solo, it's just like a shit guitar solo. That's like, there's nothing, <laughs> you know, like that's what you do when you don't know how to play guitar. <laughs> um, and you know, he probably knows how to play better than that, but it seemed like part of his character where he is for him, it's more about the passion and the expression right. and what he's getting across and, uh, than like his technical chops and like, he's kind of conscious of that and self-conscious about yeah, it. And that's right. one of the, you know, that's one of the, the that's one of his problems is masking right. that, but he just loves the music so much that it just like yeah. pours out of him, you know? Exactly. Um, but then on, on the, on the stage at the ceremony, he wasn't doing Jackson Maine. Right. right? Cause he'd lost but it. He was, he was but he was still thing. singing Shahallows. So. <laughs> so he didn't even have that uh, drawl. It was, but he still was Shahallows. <laughs> it could just be that, you know, I mean, like it's hard to hold that yeah. flat A and make I it could. sound good. And so maybe that's just how he yeah. hopes. I, I got no technique. I can't even count on it. <laughs> we all have our, we all have our limitations. It's fine. He was great. I loved, uh, I loved him. I liked his singing in it. I did too. I liked to sing. I liked him. I thought he was also a fabulous director. The direct, fabulous directing debut. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah. So now we get to best original screenplay. Am I right? Jessica Jones and Kiki, somebody <laughs> Kiki doing Lane live action Gifty. short. I have live action short. Oh, you have live action short. Okay. Sorry. So a, um, expecting Jennifer Ritter, Jennifer Ritter. Kiki something in a another pink off-shoulder swoopy. Yeah. Kiki Lane. Kiki Lane who, as her who's name. Just as good as everybody else oh, in, 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 in Field Street could talk. I don't know why they, people didn't think about her for an actress award either. She's just as great. Unfortunately, I don't have much to say about these. I didn't see any of them. I didn't see any. I uh, I picked skin just because um, it's the largest organ in the human body. I'm curious to see it because it sounds like it might be an idea that I had at one point. So I need to, I need to see if I don't need to pursue that story anymore. <laughs> I just want to say, what? after strong noses, strong eyebrows, and strong shoulders, <laughs> I hope skin becomes like the next thing people yeah. are really attracted to in a woman. Yeah, that's. I, it's probably gotta, already there. I think. Got to bring it back to basics at some point. Right. I mostly just mean like not exposed <laughs> muscle and bone. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. I'm getting tired of the sinew. Uh the sinew look. All right, original screenplay. Nick Fury and Captain Marvel Ca presenting. Nick Fury and Captain Marvel. Who? She, I think she had another one of the really nice dress, if I recall. I thought her fashion dress was really great. And actually, I'm not a, a big J-Lo person, but J-Lo had a great dress, too, with that kind of alligator shimmy, shimmer, alligator shimmer look. It's like a mirror dress. Like, like, it was, if, it was like, an, like an alligator skin, but if it was mirrored and like form-fitting. Yeah. It was really nice. I can't imagine moving in it, but she looked Pretty really heavy uh, choice from the woman famous for her dress that was barely there. Right. But honestly, it looks better. <laughs> that, I think I've said this many times before, 
But there was an old Mad Magazine. Uh, was it The Other Side? It was the one that was, uh, I, I think it was the, the lighter side up. I'm sorry. Okay. And they and, and it was a panel of a guy. He was draw, he was uh, painting a nude model. And uh, his friend comes stops by the studio. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'll be done in a minute. And he's painting the nude model. He goes, that's lunch. And the friend goes, hey, wow, your model, she's really hot. And he goes, oh, I hadn't noticed. And then the last panel is the model putting on a robe. And the artist goes, Hey, you're right. She is. <laughs> I've never forgot that. Cause it's just, I know it's just something about, that, that says a lot about sexuality and attraction. I think is just like, I don't know. Just... Oh, also, I think it's about t- craft. I think it's craft, about taking right. your craft seriously. You take it seriously. You're not part of that. And then, yeah, there you go. But I honestly, I pondered that joke for a very long time as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's see here. Uh, where are we? Oh, Best yeah. original screenplay. Okay, yeah. So the favorite, first reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Did you have a ranking for what you thought should should get it? Uh, let's see. I don't have it written down. Uh, oh, I would yeah. have gone the favorite as my number one, mostly for the dialogue. Um, although the plotting uh, was was very good. I didn't see first reformed. So let's toss that out. Um, Roma would have been my number two. Um, and I think we'll get more into Roma later. I would have gone Green Book next. Um, I, I'm i going to say, I'll go ahead and say it. I liked Green Book. Please don't unsubscribe. Please don't unsubscribe. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll join you on that. We'll get to it later. As a film separated from everything else, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it, it was, was funny. It was fun. It, um, it, it was, avoided like some obvious pitfalls. It didn't avoid all of them. No, I went in expecting something much worse than what yeah. I ended up seeing, and so right. I was you know, uh, the bar was set low, and so I'm like, oh, this movie is not embarrassing. Like it's right. you know, it's pretty yeah, good. No. Yeah, no, I agree. Pretty good. Um, so I liked it, and then uh, and then Vice. I just Vice made me angry. I was so disappointed with. I was so excited to see that movie. I really, really was so excited, and and um, what a marvelous job that he he and his writing partner, who's not here on this one, did on uh, Big Short. As in, I'd read the book, The Big Short, and then saw the movie, and I was amazed at what they were able to pull off and what they did. And it was Big Short ended up, I kept going up my list, and as of just recently, it became my favorite movie of that year. I realized I just like, you know what? That's the one I've been, over time, I'm like, that's, it's, it's everything. And then this one was like, let's do that again on a story that doesn't warrant it. You know, I'm like, uh, you is I had this feeling. I remember when I saw Rushmore, and I was like, "Wow, this is a new exciting voice, a new exciting talent. This is very, very exciting. I love this movie and can't wait to see his next thing he does." Royal Tannenbaum's come out, and while Royal, Tan- Royal Tannenbaum's is very, very good, within a few minutes I went, "Oh, so this is this is all he does." <laughs> I was like, I was deflated. I was like, "Oh." Okay, I thought that was like just a 
okay oh this is it then all right well it's good you know <laughs> so i kind of felt that i had that same just like oh no can't let this movie be its own movie don't why are you doing this again you know why are you trying to cut and paste that thing that works so well over there and trying to pose it here and i'm i'm no it doesn't, doesn't work yeah i really wanted to like that movie a lot more well, what it could have. So you're saying that the story is not worthy. I mean, if you wanted to do the the big short take on, say the format wasn't worthy of the story. The story, well, but the maybe, story needed something more than that. You know, what if he had just concentrated on uh, the Iraq War as a as a graph as a grift to make Halliburton money? Well, right? that right, but like, I'm which not, is like a tiny. Right. a tiny this part like, of his it's, life it's passed over in just like a few minutes um but like what what was missing from the script is like why right why is he doing this right well well like 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 i really appreciated seeing his younger days i didn't know any of that stuff about him and i like the idea mm -hmm. that you've got like someone who is trying to live up to this to his wife to lynn to be like I'm not going to be that fuck up that I was so much in the beginning. Uh, but at the same time, why, why? Yeah. I mean, granted we're making a movie about the most guarded and shrouded in mystery man of all time, pretty much. But so there's, it's hard to really get in there and figure out what his uh, actual MO, what he's actually thinking. But yeah, can you at least postulate a little bit on why he's done any of this stuff? I mean, all, all you're given is that Lynn Cheney tells him to turn his life around. Well, she's not Lynn Cheney at that point because they're not married. Right. But she tells him to turn his life around and make something of himself. So fine. But why does he make this of himself? Yeah. What and is, is it just because he runs into Rumsfeld and says, oh, I'll just follow that guy and do. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. just going to follow his playbook. And that's it. And then, yeah, you know, and then we're to understand that he like if they had focused on him using his position to enrich himself. Right. Then that I mean, maybe that's too shallow, but it didn't give me anything else that's right. not less shallow. Yeah. What what's yeah. What what's I mean, what's. It can't, it can't be just because angle. he has a black heart. <laughs> right. No, exactly. It's just a monster in the, in this movie to right. and call back to last year. Like he found a just a path, and I'm just going to be a monster on this arbitrary path I took. Now, if he had found, if he had seen that Lynn Cheney was, uh, va the things that Lynn valued he saw in Rumsfeld, if that connection had been made more, then yeah, maybe I can see that. In fact, one scene I was really disappointed with or rather, I, I know film criticism should not be, well, he didn't make the movie I would make. But if I were doing it. <laughs> the scene that really bothered me was when Rumsfeld gets fired. And Rumsfeld's calling uh, at the end. Rumsfeld's calling Cheney. And Cheney's like, wow, you know, it's uh, sorry, Bergen. You have to and he goes, you're firing me? And he says, yeah, I'm sorry. This just has to happen. So, I mean, and he, he goes... And he goes, you're fucking firing me. And he goes, well, that's what I would do. 
And I'm like, you know what? The th- I think the thing they fundamentally didn't mis- misunderstood about maybe, well, at least my perception of these people, is that I don't think Rumsfeld would respect someone for being as ruthless as he was. I think, yeah, he might, even if he recognized that's what I would do, he'd still be fucking furious and try to take them down. You know? He just, he's, he goes, like, what are you fucking doing this to me for? Like, I don't think he would have that, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. I do the same thing. I don't think he would have that. <laughs> because that's not how that alpha would, they, that's not the guy, that's not the guy he presented earlier. I mean, if he's, I could see it if, you know, he has no power base. I mean, he did right. when he gets a shit, when he gets reassigned and he says it's a shit job. Ambassador right. to the United Nations, is that what it is? You know, so. he doesn't fight that. He's like, this is, this is the game. Right. You know? So I, I don't know. I thought it was in line with that. Yeah. That didn't bother Some, me. Something rung, rung false. I don't know. There's just something rang false about it to me. Maybe I just think so low of these people, these real people, that to have any any sort of measured respect is beyond what, beyond what I think they're capable of. So that's probably my own prejudice. <laughs> I mean, that's my problem with the script is that it, its thesis is really just Dick Cheney is an asshole. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if it had, like, the, the best parts of the of the movie were when somebody's making a, a decision in some room of the white house. And then you see like ground level, what the, the terror and death and yeah, injury right. that causes to people. And I, I think you only see that twice. It's just right. like a device that they go to, but like that should have been the whole movie. Like yeah, that, really you know, cause that was the, the callousness of these people and their cocksureness that they had solved everything, you know, right. oh, yeah, we're going to be able to knock over Iraq. It's going to be easy. We're going to be greeted as liberators. They're going to be throwing flowers at our feet as we march in. And then uh, we'll, yeah. we'll set up a government democracy. It'll just be democracy, you know. Right. And and how that all went to shit and how, you know, I mean, it hints at it. It is. But that should have been the whole thing. Yeah. You know. And if you had to commit to, I didn't feel like the movie ever like committed to one idea or one vision other than Cheney's an asshole. <laughs> I think if it had been more about sticking with the consequences of right. of what he's doing, right. it would have been a stronger picture. I agree. Yeah, because the thing that we always complain about is the fact that here's these guys making these decisions that benefit themselves. But it's so detrimental to, with just constant multiple multiplying factors down the line, yeah. Um, that they're just not either thinking about or care about. So and instead yeah, they throw numbers and statistics at us, or have you know his heart right. donor, his the mysterious character who ends up being his. I I did not like that device at all. Like as I for me and why I'm that. telling you this. Your voiceover guy, you'll you'll find out yeah. later why how I'm involved. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> I actually didn't mind that when he right. I knew he was going to get hit by the car right when he was jogging. I go, 
oh, this is the guy, and then that happened, yeah. and then I was like, okay. But I didn't see that coming but until until almost before it did. But it didn't it, – it, it wasn't like a payoff that was, oh, like the guy who donated his heart got screwed over by his policies. I mean maybe that was what they were trying to do. Like that's where yeah. they were trying to commit to the – here's the repercussions. But it still – it was like a sprinkling when it should have been a heaping helping. Yeah, right. For me, I, I don't, don't know. know. I wonder what it would have been like if we'd seen it, if we'd been complaining the other way. Maybe it's, maybe it's just too big of a, it's just too big. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we just kind of there and got too angry. I just paid to see Dick Cheney. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's Arr. what disappointed me most is like, I fucking hate this guy. And I hate the movie that hates him. <laughs> you know, I hate the I hate I hate this movie that takes down like the, the, trying you know? to take down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was no, the I, movie I, I saw it. right after Black Klansman, and it's like, okay, Black Klansman is a movie about how Spike Lee feels. Right. Vice is a movie about how I'm supposed to feel. You know. Right. It felt like Vice made me feel like I'd been picked up by the scruff of my neck and had my face shoved in Dick Cheney's black heart. Right. <laughs> of, you know. Yeah, no, I I get that. Absolutely. So, I just I don't want to be so aggressively manipulated. You got to yeah. you got to sweet talk me. Buy me some candy for <laughs> dinner. I got gotcha. you. Uh for me, um until I saw the favorite and I still don't know if I'm which way I feel on it. But until I saw the favorite, I would say First Reformed would be my pick. Um, I didn't see that. I'm still shocked that this is the only thing it's gotten. Like Ethan Hawke should have been in best actor category. He just should. It's like, it's kind of criminal. Uh, and again, I'm not like a huge, I'm not like, I don't have Ethan Hawke posters on my wall. <laughs> um, but it's a really, uh, I don't know. It's a really kind of important movie. And I hate the Oscar clip they show. Cause it's the kind of the one thing I'm like, mm, the thing in the movie that I'm like, eh, that maybe could have been done without, but, um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an important little trip to take, I think. And it's on prime, I think right now on Amazon prime. I think it is. So it's kind of easy to see. Um, I don't know. The favorite is, is much more fun than, uh, first reformed but and first reform might be a little heavy-handed but it does kind of it kind of feels like schrader's best work since taxi driver it's got a lot of similar elements to taxi driver too actually i think i like she actually i like it better than taxi driver well that's high praise so i think it's it's i think it's a really good movie to to have people see so when green book won it was like uh-huh like to me, Green Book, which again, again, I liked Green Book. I enjoyed it as as a movie that I had no other context for. I walked in and I, yeah, it was a good time. Um, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Uh, it's the most conventional of all of them. It's the most middle of the road. I thought it kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd like to think that it had presented values that pretty much everyone can get behind. Although, still, it's a problem. I see today we could get into it here because i think the real problems with the green book are in the script i think it's how um, the script is more written. than more, more than more anything than else 
but then we what would we talk about when we get to the end? So I think we should save it. Yeah, I'll save it. Till we okay. get to best picture. Okay. So Green Book won. Uh Best Adapted Screenplay. So this was Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Stars Born. I uh, was torn what? on this. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs I thought was overwritten. Uh-huh. And so I I didn't want that in this category. Yeah. Um, it's good. I didn't think about it. Yeah. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Is a very good screenplay. Um, I didn't see if Bill Street could talk. And A Star Is Born. I haven't seen any of the other versions of A Star Is Born, so I yeah. don't feel qualified to judge it as an adaptation. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but Black Klansman, Black Klansman, <laughs> I would have been much happier with it winning Best Director or Best Picture than Screenplay. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Because I think I I wanted to be more gaga for it because I think it's a very important film and it's a very important film for right now. And it's, but it's kind of messy. It's yeah, it is. It's kind of all over the place. Um, it kind of it feels like it never quite decided what kind of movie it was going to end up being. Yeah. Right. I think so. Well, my problems with it are really in the um, procedural, which a lot of it is. Yeah. A police procedural about this investigation into the clan, And that's where a lot of the, the tension in the movie comes from. Yeah. And those parts just like didn't add up for me right like i just didn't think it worked as a procedural i mean there's no. too many i have too many questions like what crime were they investigating the clan for like it's not illegal to be in the clan in colorado springs in 1972 right right so what right. are they what are they investigating for and and it's it's fine if they don't know, but I kind of need to know what what their end goal is, other than right. let's just make sure racists aren't doing bad things, which is fine, you right. know. But um, like I was told, why they're investigating Stokely Carmichael rallies, <laughs> but um, and there was never like I kept waiting for. Well, no, let me talk about the procedural. Like just like. Uh, and maybe this is dumb or maybe this is watching too much law and order, but, uh, the woman who plants the bomb, was she charged? What was she charged with? Right. Was she convicted? What happened right. to her? What you happened? know, I'm, I've been told this is based on a true story. And so, so I feel just, like I need to know, yeah. I don't even know how long she, I don't even know if she'd been convicted. I don't even right. know if she'd been charged. I see her get arrested. Right. We see some cop on top of her after the explosion and that's it. Yeah. Oh, they got her. <laughs> did they? What did they do? Did she get off? Was she there? What's going on? Oh, uh, then there's the tacked on bit about the racist cop that they they bust him in a scene that just feels like felt like a reshoot that they did <laughs> like two months later because they thought right. they needed a, a like an uplifting a moment there. Like, yeah. Like, when did they start investigating him? Like, what's? Yeah. Like, why what, is the chief yeah. involved in it? Right. <laughs> What's happening in this scene? 
It's just, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm super happy that Spike Lee got his, got his first Oscar. It's overdue as an artist, but, but yeah, the, I would much happier with director, which presumably it seems like the Academy had kind of collectively thought, well, he's not going to get that, even though they could all just vote for him. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I, it, I, I, something, something as a film, not as a message, but as a film, something just kept me from seeing its high praise. Which to me, all that high praise, I, I think the clear winner here is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Nicole Haas, I can't say her name, but there were two writers who wrote Can You Ever Forgive Me to me is, it might be my second or it's, Definitely my third. It could be my second favorite movie of the year. Um, I, I've seen it twice now, and I can't shake it. It's. Uh, I think it should have been up for best picture, best director, best uh, actor, act, best actress, best supporting actor, and screenplay. I think it's. I think it's a. It's an incredibly powerful, fully realized, realized movie about poverty and and and, and hiding hiding your fe- hiding your fear and anger and it's and around not an anger in um venom and uh it's uh i just i love it i think it's pitch perfect it was good it was really good um i wouldn't have voted for it for best screenplay though and i'll tell you why other than direct quotes from her letters like we're 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 told that she can write like Dorothy Parker, but I don't. There, I just didn't think there was enough of that wit in the actual dialogue. There was funny scenes. Oh, you mean there wasn't enough wit from her to know that she could write like that? Is that what you're saying? I mean, how many how many lines does Melissa McCarthy say in that movie that are like that are quotable? <laughs> well, I think uh, I had just the biggest urge to trip you as you right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a wonderful. That, that was a great moment. moment. Uh, just, uh, Richard E. Grant's reaction to it is just the best. Um, I I think um, uh, it doesn't matter if it's quote because you 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 know that your inner life is different than your outer life. She has isolated herself so. I, it, to me, I find it one of the brilliant strokes of that movie is the fact that here's a woman who has isolated herself uh, in, uh, in in her work. She doesn't. She's and 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 um, she's had a modicum of success by kind of writing about the lives of others. She's hiding her own self, and then she's uh, upset that she can't just take her minor successes and continue to work. She has to come out and be nice. She has to come out and be, you know, um, uh, make her name. And that scares her. So she turns it around with Venom. And, and ah, fuck. Like, uh, to me, Melissa McCarthy's performance is, I, I think, I, I honestly think it's Heath Ledger, Joker level of, you can't oversell it in this. Because she's got this, uh, in a way that I haven't seen her ever be before. Um, in a movie uh, where she's like, um, 
Like usually when you have a movie about someone who is really unpleasant to be around, there's a lot of like either justifications or 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 or, or things that kind of uh, try to make it more pleasurable to watch or or try to make it uh, somehow uh, uh, rationalize the behavior. And this was so clear; she wasn't likable for her uh, spitting anger and 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 mis uh, uh, misbehavior. She was likable for her vulnerability and her vulnerability always showed up when she was, um, when her isolation was threatened and then she became, she tried to push everybody away with being just horribly unpleasant. And then when she actually is is facing, which you could make a really cheesy cliche of the uh, courtroom speech about what you've learned but her courtroom speech is amazing and she's learned she says i was too much of a coward to write about anything about myself I'm, and I, I would open myself up to criticism and i'm just too much of a coward to do that um and admitting that that was the best time of her life when she actually was <laughs> writing this stuff and then uh and then her sentence right when she realizes i've i've done this to myself and it wasn't worth it they sentence her to house arrest. So her punishment is to go back to the same fucking <laughs> life that got her that that she had built herself before, but now she has to stay there. Yeah. And I was like, that's wow. And then she got her best book out of it, so And she got her best book out of it. When she realized I have to if I'm gonna do this, I have to risk something. I have to put I mean, in a way, I thought about myself in that, in the sense that there are things that I, in my life, I really wanted to do. I was too scared to do it. So what did I do instead of, I didn't want to make people mad at me for uh, investing too much in these things I wanted to do, these projects, these art projects, these writing projects or film projects. So instead of doing, making people mad by financially, like, you know, like risking, you know, family what did i do instead i drank <laughs> so i took all that money that i could have put into projects and i drank it and thus made the people around me mad so it's like you know what I, why didn't i just make them mad by doing the thing i wanted to do that was actually healthy and productive <laughs> you know so like i don't know this movie spoke to me uh about fear of putting yourself out there in a way that few movies have. So I really, I really love this movie. It's a very good movie. Um, and in this discussion, I think you're the Roger Ebert and I'm the Gene Siskel. So <laughs> I think so. I think, I think I watched it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We're shaped like them now. That's true. <laughs> Uh, not really, but um, my hair is getting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, my belly's getting there. Uh, so yeah, so good for Spike Lee. I liked his. I mean, his speech was great. It was disorienting at first because I think his adrenaline was so high that he wasn't well, making any sense. And then you're yeah, like, well, whoa, it was whoa, all bleeped whoa, whoa, out, whoa. so he didn't know what he was saying. Right, and then he's like, oh, oh okay, now we're, we, we're you're telling a very important tale now. Okay, I'm on board now. <laughs> it took a while to get on that track. But uh, yeah. 
very happy for him, but uh, I was really, um, I, I would like director. You're right. Any more on Black Klansman? Uh, just this. Ronald Stallworth. Uh-huh. Why did he want to be a cop? We never really knew, did we? Never know. I still have no idea. Uh-huh. I still don't really know any very much about that character. Right. I completely agree. He's a cipher. Yeah. What made him want to 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 seek? What was it about him that made him prefer to do this through the quote unquote proper channels when the proper channels were never going to work for him? I mean, well, that would never that did not want him there. So. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, By the way, our recording is, has uh, recently passed the length of the Oscar telecast. <laughs> oh, good. And we haven't even gotten to the... Coming up next, Best Original Song, the Best Actor and Actress Awards, and a tribute to Malapropisms on You Awarded It Wrong, the 2019 Oscars.